Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community, and I am just standing in this week for your regular host, Kim Tibaldo, who will be back with you next week. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today, immunotherapy is one of the most exciting areas of new discoveries and treatments for different types of cancer. Researchers now know that the interaction between our immune system and cancer is very complex. Understanding how the immune system works is opening the doors to developing new treatments that are changing the way we think about treatment. Researchers have been interested in using the body's natural defense system to fight cancer for well over 100 years, but the progress in the last decade has been rapid and exciting, producing new approaches with very promising results. In that sense, immunotherapy is a new emerging area of cancer treatment. On this episode, we're looking at the topic of immunotherapy and the new advances, and we are so fortunate to have two really special people join us. We have Dr. Messerschmidt and Elizabeth Franklin on the show. Elizabeth will join us later in the show, but first let me tell you a bit about Dr. Messerschmidt. Dr. Messerschmidt is Chief Medical Officer for Precision Oncology. In his role, he provides leadership and oversight for precision oncology medical safety activities and works to provide clinical development strategies for their oncology compounds. Dr. Messerschmidt is medical specialty certified in internal medicine, medical oncology, and hematology. He has 25 years of experience in the oncology drug development area, so he has certainly seen the growth and development of immunotherapy. Dr. Messerschmidt received his medical degree from the University of Portland and trained at the Letterman Army Medical Center and the National Cancer Institute. He's held academic positions at the University of Michigan and at the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Messerschmidt was also a captain major in the United States Air Force, and he was an oncology and hematology consultant to the Department of State and Department of Defense. Welcome to the show, Dr. Messerschmidt, and thank you so much for your service. Uh, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here, Linda. So we have an hour today to talk to our listeners about immunotherapy, and I would love for you to first spend a little bit more time talking to our listeners about you and how you chose to really specialize in cancer. Well, there's a lot of things that, that occur in a person's life, um, but cancer... When I was in uh, my early training as a physician was one of those areas that looked like it was really getting exciting. That was 30 years ago. And I thought the, uh, the answer, the cure, was just around the corner. Uh, luckily, I, I can tell you that I think we're getting close to the corner now. We've really made a lot of progress in the last uh, 30 years, and um, uh, and I'm immunotherapy is a is a really significant part of treating cancer today and in the future. So, talk to us about what immunotherapy is, and how does it work? Well, 
This is a, a method to use the normal systems within the human body. The human body and many other animals and even uh, fish and other organisms have immune systems. And these are systems that fight to protect the uh, human from mainly infection. And that's how it developed uh, to keep bacteria, viruses, fungus, and other organisms from invading um, the organism. So, so for humans, that's really important. But as you know, many of us have get still get infections. We're able to fight them, uh, but we require antibiotics to assist our uh, immune system in getting rid of the infection more quickly. And similarly, cancer is a, is an abnormality, uh, but it's not from the outside of the human body. It's from the inside. And so the immune system is really the only system that can recognize the cancers as abnormal and kill them um, within the body. But sometimes they need help from outside, and that's where physicians and pharmaceuticals come in. So I just want to play a little bit on um, your example of an infection and antibiotics. So, you know, typically when somebody has an infection, then there, there are antibodies produced, right, to respond to the infection? And there's a parallel with the way in which immunotherapy works in that way when the, so when the, the you know, the tumor excretes the same and then immunotherapy works? Actually, there, there are two major parts of the immune system. One are the antibodies, and those are very important in infection and also important in the treatment of cancer. And, in fact, many immunotherapies are actually man-made antibodies to target against the cancer cells. But the other part of the immune system are cells, single cells, that are made in the human body that can specifically tell self or normal tissues from abnormal tissues. And cancer is in the abnormal tissue category. And these cellular immune systems are really the most important in identifying and killing cancer cells naturally. Great. Thank you for that little extra extra detail. So how then is immunotherapy administered to patients? Well, uh, the therapy can be administered the way uh, many, many other drugs are administered. Most commonly, these are given within the veins, uh, like in, in the arm, and they circulate around. But there are also immune therapies that are um, being developed that can be given by mouth. But I would say most of the uh, um, more complex and active drugs are being given uh, by uh, intravenous infusions. And, and then, so tell us, because I know that some people also receive chemotherapy and other types of cancer therapy, you know, by intravenous infusion or by mouth. So tell us the difference between immunotherapy and either chemotherapy or other types of therapies. 
Well, these two types of therapies and several others that people have heard of, including surgery and radiation, um, vax, tumor vaccines, actually all work together to try to get rid of the cancer. So, for example, cancer cells themselves have a, have a common characteristic that they just grow continuously. They don't, they do not stop growing. And in fact, they have mechanisms within themselves that, that, um, uh, turn off their ability to actually die. And so in a way, cancer cells are immortalized in the, in the human body. So they're growing, growing, growing. And that's really one of the major problems of these cells of the cancer. They keep growing so they push against normal tissues and make those normal tissues uh, difficult to function uh, as they should. And they also suck the life out of the patient. They suck the nutrients, they suck the structural elements out of the blood, and really um, that's why many patients lose a lot of weight with cancer because the growing cancer tissue is is uh, taking up all of the nutrients and the normal cells are in a way starving. And so there's two aspects of treating cancer that have to be uh, understood by uh, your listeners. And that is, the first one is to stop these cells or eliminate as many of these cells as possible from uh, growing. And so those are direct therapies directly against the cancer cells. And that's what chemotherapy is. That's what surgery is. That's what radiation is. These are treatments that kill the cancer cells. However, what we've learned is though we have cured some cancers with regular chemotherapy type regimens, most cancers have not been curable by by these. And what we've learned in the last two decades in the research with the immune system is that it, the immune system does have the capability of eliminating those, those cells, those cancer cells that are still in the body after a chemotherapy treatment. And so immunotherapy actually stimulates and activates the immune system against the cancer to clean up what's left after chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and other treatments. So are there uh, particular patients that immunotherapy is more suitable or less suitable for? Uh, there, there are um, some uh, cancers that are very amenable to immunotherapy, but probably all cancers will be uh, treated with, with enhanced immunotherapy treatments in the future. Right now, there's approval in about uh, 10 or 15 uh, immune uh, ther- for immune therapies against uh, specific cancers, uh, and those are growing um, uh, every every few months. It seems like now that we're getting new indications uh, with these drugs emerging. 
And let me ask you one more question as we're going to break, because I know before you were t- we were talking about the difference between immunotherapies and chemotherapy. Um, are they ever given together? Can you give immunotherapy alongside chemotherapy? Yes. Uh, and in fact, uh, we anticipate that combinations of therapies, um, uh, including chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and different immune therapies will be uh, what is needed uh, in the future uh, to really have long-term survival. With the idea that the older therapies that we've talked about eliminate a large proportion potentially of the cancer, but not the last cell and thus the cancer can grow back. And we need the immune system enhanced then to come in and clean up uh, the the, uh, cancer cells that are left after these other therapies. So it's it's really a two-prong attack uh, against cancer that's going to be effective uh, against these tumors, uh, hopefully all of them in the future. Got it. Thank you so much. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we have to take a quick break, but please come back with us, and we'll be back with Dr. Messerschmidt, the Chief Medical Officer of Precision Oncology. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, 
Be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you by Merck, and we're joined by Dr. Messerschmidt today, and we're discussing immunotherapy. And Dr. Messerschmidt, in this segment, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the new advances that we have seen in immunotherapy. Does that sound okay to you? It does. Great. So, so at the very basic level, tell us why doctors and patients are so excited about immunotherapy. Well, even though uh, treatments to uh, help the immune system fight against cancer actually began in the late 1800s, it wasn't until the last 25 years or so that we've actually begun to have scientific understanding of the immune system and how it communicates and can fight cancer. And that this has now resulted in various different types of of treatments, but only a few to start out with have been approved up to this point. These include antibodies that can bind onto the cancer and can actually attract parts of the immune system to then kill the cancer cells. But then there's also newer therapies that are cellular therapy, meaning we take the immune cells and infuse them into the patient and they directly identify and attack the cancer cells. And so some of these are what you may have heard of called checkpoint inhibitors. These are... um, in a way, like in a, with a hockey player, a check is when you stop that one hockey player from moving forward toward making a goal. And what happens is in the immune system normally, checkpoints are in, the, in place to stop the immune system from its normal function. So if you have an infection, a staph infection, let's say in your finger, That would normally last 7 to 10 days, and it doesn't keep going because the immune system has these checkpoints that stops the immune reaction from occurring. And this actually occurs in cancer, and some cancers actually make some of these signals themselves to tell the immune system to turn away and to recognize the cancers as normal cells, not as abnormal cells. And so this, the, the immune system within a cancer patient is actually quite different than the immune system in a normal person in that the immune system is constantly being turned off uh, by the presence of the cancer. Uh, and so... Check, checkpoint inhibitors are those drugs that 
inhibit those checkpoints, allowing the immune system to remain active and go against the cancer. And these were approved about, the the first one was approved about six years ago. And what we discovered was that this can activate the immune system and lead to long-term disease-free survival of patients with certain types of cancers it's not in everyone, but the single drug has been able to do it in multiple cancers in between 10 to 20% of patients that were never possible before. And so this really verifies the role of the immune system to clean up the cancer cells. And so <clears throat> immune therapies have moved on from there. There are now... Um, four checkpoint inhibitors that have been approved for various uh, and many different types of cancers, ranging from bladder cancer to lung cancer to skin cancer, that uh, are are very effective, and that's very exciting. Just recently this year, however, two new steps have uh, taken place where two what are called CAR T cells. Uh, these are specific cells that can recognize the tumor cells and when they're infused can directly kill these cells. And in these first approvals, the uh, responses have been much higher with um, 70 to 85% of the cancer cells and patients having uh, responses, and we believe many of these could potentially turn into long-term disease-free intervals in these patients, but that's yet to be fully elucidated. So these are very exciting uh, new therapies that were just approved uh, in the last uh, few months, actually. And so that's why people are very uh, interested in the immune therapies that are being added on to uh, prior uh, therapies. Well, I have to disclose to you that um, I'm actually an oncology nurse, and I remember doing clinical research on interferon many, many, many years ago. <laughs> so it is very exciting to see these developments, and I'm sure you have similar experience. I do. Some of the older um, uh, um, therapies, including interferon, were very helpful in, in making uh, their mechanisms of action in cancer known. And interferons are extremely important in the immune system. Um, but we're finding better, more specific ways now to signal the immune system rather than giving pharmacologic doses of interferons. And, and I just want to summarize a little bit. So, so essentially, I'm going to try to oversimplify the, the mechanism of action that you talked about. So, you know, essentially, you say that the cancer shuts off the immune system to try to trick the body so that the cancer can grow. But with these new inhibitors, it really turns the immune system back on so that there is essentially a counterattack on the cancer. Correct. That's the way the checkpoint inhibitors work, mm -hmm. uh, and they're all very effective. The cellular therapies actually are um, uh, also made with, they're, they're actually genetically engineered to 
in a way, turn themselves on even in the face of the checkpoint inhibitors. So they are much more active, and when they're infused, they go after uh, the cancer cells with a vengeance. And I think that's why the responses are, are much higher and led to these uh, approvals. Right, and I'm going to deep dive into into the CAR T cells in the next segment because we've got a lot to cover with that. But to sort of set us up for that, can you talk about this idea of protein biomarkers? And is that really what draws the immune system? Explain how that all works. Well, uh, proteins were the original um, biomarkers that we noticed on cancer cells before we while we were still researching the immune system. and um, But now we've learned that there are many different types of biomarkers that we can measure that have to do with how the genes are functioning and supporting growth in the cancer cells and how they acquire nutrients, those types of things. There's also genes that, that produce um, RNA that specifically... Uh, regulate the genes. So there's a lot of different things that we can measure, including DNA, which are the genes, RNA, which are part of the gene process, and proteins uh, that are made. There are other other uh, elements like uh, certain types of uh, fats that we can measure that are also, and what these are, a biomarker is is a clue that we can measure either in the tumor or now often in the blood of cancer patients that tell us whether it's uh, what type of cancer it actually can be, whether the treatment is working because the biomarkers go down, um, or whether um, the tumor is actually coming back because the biomarkers may go back up again. And these are really helping us assess much more rapidly uh, whether treatments are working uh, and how to select the right treatment for the patient. This is individualized therapy or what we call precision oncology where we're precisely measuring things that have to do with the cancer we're measuring biomarkers, and then be, we'll be selecting the drugs that will affect their specific tumor. And so in the minute that we have before break, would you say that this idea of immunotherapy and precision medicine and understanding molecular targets, would you say that this is really the future direction for oncology research? Yes. <clears throat> understanding the basic mechanisms uh, of what is causing different characteristics of the cancers is really essential to developing therapies that specifically target those and eliminate um, those cells and those functions in the cancer cells and then allowing the immune system uh, to clean up uh, the dying or remaining alive cancer cells. It is the future. It's more specific uh, and, um, and will, will be uh, less toxic uh, than uh, treatments of the past. Which is good news for patients. Very good news for patients, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Messerschmidt. We've got to go to a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and please join us right after the break. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is brought to you by Merck. I'm Linda House, and I'm filling in for your normal host, who is Kim Tibaldo this week. She'll be back with you next week. And we've been talking to Dr. Messerschmidt about new advances in the field of immunotherapy. So, Dr. Messerschmidt, let's go to some of the really recent high science immunotherapies. And you mentioned them in the last segment, and those are uh, the CAR T cells. And as you mentioned, these are very recent advancements. Can you just explain them a little bit more? Because they are, I know, fairly detailed, but super interesting. They are very interesting and very effective. And so they really have medicine oncologists in the scientific community buzzing because they really look like a major part of the future therapy of cancer. But let me explain it so that people can understand. These are cells taken from the patient that would, that should be able to uh, kill the cancer, but they're being turned off by the cancer just being there. And um, they're taken out and they're manufactured, you know, in a sterile environment 
where they're actually on their on their surface it's being changed to what's called a car which stands for chimeric antigen receptor but what it is it's a a key that hangs out from these cells uh, that's being engineered by molecular biology treatment uh, and and they're getting turned on with what are called co-stimulatory agents or, or mechanisms. And then they're given back to the same patient that donated them, except that these cells now, instead of being their normal cells, these are hyperactive cells. They are turned on. They are ready to go. And they... The key that they, that was built by the scientists in the manufacturing process, actually, these cells circulate around and as soon as the key finds where it fits on the cancer cell, because that's where it's specifically designed, is on the cancer cell, it binds and then it, uh, uh, puts out chemicals that kill the cancer cells. And this has been extremely effective. As I mentioned, um, two CAR T-cell therapies have been approved. They're both against the same uh, cancer uh, type uh, in that it's lymphomas or lymphocytic leukemias. One's in children and one's in uh, adults. Um, and the responses have been 70, 75, 80, 85 uh, percent or so uh, have had th their tumors shrink, many of which have gone away or what we call a complete remission. It's quite remarkable. Uh, and for these patients, has extended their lives, and maybe some of them will live for a much longer period of time if they were able to get rid of all of the cancer cells remaining in the patient. So it's a very important treatment. One of the problems is, is that these cancers, these anti-cancer cells that have been activated in the manufacturing process actually are so active that they um, uh, cause toxicities by the uh, amount of chemicals they release to kill the cancer cells. And these get into the system and make the patient feel very sick. Fortunately, uh, the University of Pennsylvania, which is one of the uh, inventors of these CAR T cells, um, found another drug that's actually approved um, that uh, can uh, calm down these side effects. And so these side effects, though, can be extremely uh, troublesome to the patient, putting them potentially even in the ICU can now be often treated uh, with, with an approved drug that makes it much more manageable uh, for these uh, therapies. So that's, that's why they got approved, because the benefit of getting these cells with the management principles that we've just learned in the last couple of years has made the, um, the risks to the patient manageable so that they, they, the ratio of benefit to risk outweighs 
um, uh, the risk and the, and the drugs were approved for very serious relapse diseases that had no potential for being cured um, by past therapies. And so this is, this is really a dramatic uh, improvement. Now, these types of therapies probably will and are being uh, experimented with in other types of cancers that, uh, now and there will be more in the future. The anticipation is, is that there will be activity. It may or may not be as active as it is in these types of, of cancers that, that are now approved. And so this will become part of a combination, most likely, of treatments that will be given to other cancers in the future. And those will um, be examined over the next few years, probably the next decade, of different cancers being treated with different CAR T cells. What is it about the type of cancers that the CAR T cells are approved in now? What is it about them that makes them respond so well versus some of the other types of cancers? The, the, the present cancers where they're approved are, are, are lymphomas and leukemias of the same types of cells that have on their surface the, uh, where the key fits is very well studied and very well uh, understood and uh, very specific to the types of, of tumors, uh, these lymphomas or leukemias that are being treated. Some of the other uh, markers, biomarkers on these, on other tumor cells are not as well understood but are being now examined much more closely. Um, and um, probably in some of these it will be less um, clear exactly what's the best uh, one to train the, the CAR T cells to go after. And so that's part of the science that still has to be figured out is what's the best thing to train these, these CAR T cells to go after. And because when they do connect, they do kill. Um, but not all tumors are as, uh, easy as, as the present cells. So there, there are some, tougher questions to answer when you're talking about lung cancer or breast cancer or some of those. Though it is believed that this will work in those, it's just going to take a little bit more uh, thinking and development. Mm -hmm. So what are the side effects from the CAR Ts? You mentioned that, that they could be pretty toxic. What, what would patients experience with a CAR T? Well, the CAR T cells in the chemicals that they release um, in their process of killing the cancer cells lead to a very common side effect that is uh, uh, described as cytokine storm uh, or cytokine release syndrome. And these are called cytokines. They are molecules that are released by these um, CAR T cells and by the cancer cells as they're dying that um, uh, that cause a lot of things ranging from fevers and chills all the way to uh, trouble breathing, blood pressure changes, uh, and that's why it's called storm 
or release syndrome. It's a syndrome of, of a lot of normal physiologic uh, changes uh, that occur all at once. Uh, and the patients can end up in the intensive care unit, have their blood pressure supported, some of their organ function supported. But if we give this approved drug against what's called IL-6, which is a specific cytokine, it turns out we can really minimize or decrease the cytokine release syndrome um, activity um, just by uh, giving that uh, drug. There's probably going to be other drugs that counteract different kinds of cytokines that will hopefully make it even more tolerable uh, in the future. Um, does that answer that question yes, for you? It, yep, it does. And so we've got two minutes before we go to our final break. And uh, I, I just, I know we didn't really go into the side effects for the checkpoint inhibitors, but I just want to make sure that we at least touch on the fact that if someone is listening to the call today and they are on an immunotherapy agent and they do have a side effect, it is important for them to call their healthcare team. And in particular, if you go into the emergency room for a problem, it's important for you to make sure and tell that emergency room staff that you're receiving an immunotherapy agent because you may be treated differently than you would be if you were on traditional chemotherapy. Is that correct? That is correct because the... The checkpoints actually allow some uh, normal cells that are normally inhibited from reacting against normal tissues. It also allows them to react. Uh, So you can get reactions against your skin, which is very common to get rashes or diarrhea or other other, uh, um, side effects uh, that uh, that is caused directly by the medicine, and these are called autoimmune effects, meaning the the, the normal cells are are going against normal tissues, uh, the normal immune cells, and that that's what's leading to these uh, specific uh, side effects associated with immunotherapy. Great. Well, thank you. And Dr. Messerschmidt, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been incredibly helpful to help us understand this new and exciting option for for patients. That's my pleasure. Thank you very much. We appreciate having you. And we will be going to a commercial break. After the break, Elizabeth Franklin, the Cancer Support Community's Executive Director for the Cancer Policy Institute, will join us. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and I am Linda House. I'm your guest host for Kim Thibodeau, who will be back with you next week. Right now, we're moving to our fourth segment, and we are lucky to have Elizabeth Franklin joining us. Elizabeth is the Executive Director of the Cancer Policy Institute at the Cancer Support Community, where she is responsible for all aspects of the Institute, including policy priorities to effectively advocate for positive change for people affected by cancer. We at the Cancer Support Community like to think that Elizabeth is taking what we learn from the heart of our organization, which is our affiliate network and our service delivery arm, along with the head of the organization, which is our research and training institute, and really bring those two together to help policymakers understand what patients and families are experiencing as they're going through their cancer journey. Elizabeth was formerly Director of Policy and Engagement at the George Washington University Cancer Institute, and she is currently pursuing her her doctorate at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hey, thanks, Linda. I appreciate you having me. So you are a social worker by training and practice, and, you know, it's been invaluable to have your skill set in the conversations on patient access. So talk to us about what you hear from patients as their top concerns after a cancer diagnosis. 
Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a social worker by training. I have um, been a social worker for over a decade now, and that experience really lends itself well to the policy work that I'm doing. Um, as you know, Linda, as a, as a previous oncology nurse, most patients are completely unprepared for a diagnosis of cancer. Even though cancer impacts um, one in two men and one in three women, it's very challenging for any of us to be prepared for a doctor to give us that news. So initially, I think that the most common reaction is a feeling of fear. Um, there are so many decisions to be made, and those choices can feel overwhelming. I think earlier in this session, all of the amazing content that we shared um, is, is wonderful information for patients, but it can really illustrate kind of the, the mass amount of information that's out there that we need to weed through as patients. And treatments can seem scary because of side effects such as pain or unpleasant feelings like nausea or the ways in which they can alter our appearance. And a diagnosis of cancer makes us think about our own mortality. And some patients may not be able to process the news or may be at a loss and can't ask their doctor all of the questions that they have. And so overall, I think that when patients are first diagnosed, they may have an initial hope for a cure or to live a long life. Um, many patients are worried about their families, both protecting their family's emotions um, and ensuring that the family will be okay no matter what happens. And so as treatment decisions are being made, many patients are concerned with a variety of different things. And one of those things is um, the ability to pay for their care. So those are just a few of the things that patients grapple with as they are diagnosed. And ultimately, all of these concerns can result in stress, anxiety, and depression. And that's why um, our organization, the Cancer Support Community, exists because we look at the full patient experience, um, not just the medical or physical side of things, but also the social and emotional side to make sure that patients are receiving the full range of care and services that they need. And is immunotherapy widely available to patients everywhere or do they have to go to a specific NCI or academic medical center? So this is a great question because the vast majority of cancer patients are treated within their own communities. And many of them are not at large urban cancer centers, which again makes this question incredibly important. So many patients are seeing commercials for immunotherapies online or on the news or online or reading news stories, and it can lead them to believe that they can be cured with the next great immunotherapy. And as we talked about on previous segments, not everyone is necessarily a candidate for immunotherapy, and specifically when you talk about um, immunotherapies like CAR-T, um, it's very specific who uh, actually qualifies or who's a good candidate for that. So it depends on the type of treatment, but immunotherapies are often given in specialized cancer centers. They are sometimes in large urban centers, but they can also be in communities around the country. For patients who live in more rural or remote areas, it can be more difficult to access these treatments in their own backyards, and it's important for patients to have conversations with their providers regarding their treatment options, both where they're currently receiving treatment as well as their potential to travel elsewhere if possible. And I mentioned CAR-T therapies. It's very important for patients who have the potential um, to be in a clinical trial or to receive CAR-T to understand that those are only offered at certain cancer centers around the country. And that's because their T cells are actually collected at the cancer center. They're sent to a laboratory re-engineered and then sent back to be put back into the patient's body. And so when we're talking about CAR-T, that's much more specific and you can only receive that in certain places. Um, and so the cancer support community is busy developing materials for patients and providers 
so that we can respond to the needs of patients in all communities because we want patients to have the information, have their questions answered, and as was mentioned earlier, once more patients have access to these types of treatments, uh, we want to have them armed and ready with information to help them make the right choices for themselves. So let's talk uh, just a little bit about um, cost and affordability. And, you know, we hear so much about the, the high price of some of these immunotherapy options. So how are patients uh, paying for their treatment and what type of financial assistance would be available for patients and their families? So the cost of cancer care um, throughout time, but it's really sort of ramping up recently with immunotherapy and with CAR-T, poses a barrier to many patients. Um, And at the cancer support community, we believe in a patient empowerment model. And in other words, we work to help patients become their own best advocate, as you very well know. And so, as I stated earlier, a cancer diagnosis is, is really scary and overwhelming. And when you add in the cost of care, it just makes it even more so. And so there's a concept called financial toxicity, which means that patients experience financial challenges stemming from their healthcare costs. And this can lead to behaviors that put the patient at physical, emotional, and financial risk. Um, They may forego treatment, they may skip doses, they may exhaust their savings, or even face bankruptcy. And so that's the kind of thing we don't want to see happen. But Our research and training institute has found that among melanoma survivors, a substantial proportion experience a financial burden that impacts their quality of life. And this finding holds across sort of all types of cancer, and particularly, again, with immunotherapies and with CAR-T therapies, that could continue to grow. And so we encourage patients, first and foremost, to have a conversation with their healthcare team about the cost of care. They need to understand things like their co-payments, co-insurance, premiums, and the overall out-of-pocket costs. Um, They need to contact their insurance company, um, talk with a loved one, really try and find answers to those questions so so they aren't surprised once treatment has begun. And then there are also numerous programs available to help assist patients. Uh, The cancer support community has a helpline that's open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. We have a financial navigator who can help answer questions. And we also offer a program called Open to Options, which can help patients identify their goals in seeking therapy and consider the benefits to the therapies, as well as a range of different side effects and risks. And then finally, there are other organizations that offer financial assistance or navigation, like the Patient Advocate Foundation or the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, And finally, many pharmaceutical companies also offer patient assistance. So um, patients are encouraged to seek out those options to make sure that they address the cost issue upfront and continually throughout care. And let me just throw a number out there. So the Cancer Support Helpline, which is one 888 793-9355 is a great resource for our listeners if they have questions about financial toxicity or where they might receive support or uh, really any question, um, we could help direct them, either help them directly or help direct them to services that could provide assistance for that, uh, that you know, financial need. And we will make sure to repeat that at the end of the show so that you'll have that. Um, so, Elizabeth, what can patients and advocates do in today's challenging political climate to ensure that patients are not ridden with debt after they finish their treatment? What sort of political activity is happening to to create some patient protections? 
Sure. So I want to go back to a comment that I made earlier about an approach that we use at the cancer support community called patient empowerment. And we truly believe that patients should be their own best advocate. And I know sometimes that that can be challenging, especially when you're first dealing with a diagnosis or you're deciding which treatment. But we really find that when cancer survivors, their loved ones, anyone touched by this disease really take a hold of um, sort of the policy environment and become advocates, it can give them some control over their lives and over their disease. And they find that very empowering. So I think first, it's very important for everyone to stay up to date and aware of policy and advocacy issues that may impact the ways in which we access and pay for care. Uh, the most obvious issue right now is healthcare reform. I encourage everyone, even though it can be challenging to keep up with what's going on in the news and in Congress, to make sure that you're aware of the healthcare debate and how that's, that could possibly impact care. Um, be in continual contact with your elected officials at both local and federal levels and communicate your concerns about the cost of care, as well as the need for not only insurance coverage, but also the ability to access care. So oftentimes we talk about coverage, but we don't talk about access. So you may have health insurance, but you need to be able to use that health insurance and have things like essential health benefits, which um, allow patients to access the chemotherapy, preventive services, lab tests, hospital visits, things like that. And one way that you can do that is to come to the Cancer Support Community website and sign up to become a grassroots advocate. You can receive helpful information and engage in advocacy opportunities to connect with your elected officials and make your voices heard on issues just like this. And so, um, again, like Linda, you mentioned in the beginning, we are working very hard to make sure that patients are at the forefront of all healthcare policies at both the federal and state levels. Our affiliates across the nation are involved in policy issues at the, the local and state level, and then at the Cancer Policy Institute. We're providing a host of, of different information. We're launching a newsletter in the new year, and I strongly encourage everyone listening to this radio show to sign up to be on our grassroots listserv. Um, again, I think that it really has a great impact on healthcare policy today, but it also can give patients, survivors, and their loved ones a sense of control over what's going on with the healthcare debate, and it's probably more important now than ever before. That's a great reminder, and just to remind our listeners, www.cancersupportcommunity.org will get you to the site that you're mentioning about becoming a grassroots advocate. Perfect. Great. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. We are out of time already, if you can believe that. We appreciate you joining us on the show today. We do also hope that our listeners will go to our website and download information specific to immunotherapy. That is at cancersupportcommunity.org forward slash immunotherapy. And there are plenty of resources there where you can learn about immunotherapy and resources that may um, help you. I'm going to quickly repeat that telephone number for the helpline. It is 888-793-9355. And I'd like to thank you all so much for spending your time with us today. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>